Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of XYZ. Welcome back to XYZ Reflections from Early Childhood Education Professionals Season 2, Overcoming the Workforce Crisis, brought to you by the Delaware Institute for Excellence in Early Childhood. We're so excited that you're joining us today for Part 2 of Lead With Your Heart. If you're just tuning in, we got the opportunity to sit down with Dr. Whitney Williams, principal of Stubbs Early Learning Center in Wilmington, Delaware. With the nation's staffing crisis, we're picking up with a question about the struggle to retain and hire quality staff. Now you get to find out what Dr. Williams' strategies are around this topic. Don't forget, all new episodes air on the last Wednesday of the month at noon. Hope you'll join us. So through COVID, were you able to retain everyone? What did that look like for you? Yeah, I mean, I tell you, I don't have issues of retention. I don't have issues of recruitment. I do recruit as I need to, but I don't have huge exoduses of staff. And I have people who want to be here, people who want to get in. I get emails all the time and I struggle with not being able to take them. And I try to connect them to my colleagues and make sure that people have a place. I feel like I've become, now I have joined and am helping to lead our district's strategic planning committee on recruiting and retaining a diverse pool of educators. And I make sure that our team always includes a diverse pool of educators because that is our charge. And with that, I helped develop a partnership with our Howard High School neighbor. And we have 10th graders and 11th graders. And now we'll have the co-op students working in our building. They come over every day, Monday through Thursday for an hour. So I'm constantly now recruiting future educators. I feel like that is another passion that I've developed where I really, really am talking to younger generations now. I started with our staff and I presented them the question, why don't we want our children to become teachers? The room fell silent. Why? Why do we not think that is a good enough field for our children? No one has a response. And I said, how many of you have children of age that are in high school? And this is when we first started. So as we're getting to know one another, I said, I want you to bring them in here. So I have converted three of them in their majors that were doing something else that they now want to be teachers. I said, you don't have to do it. Just bring them in here. We'll be able to tell they and I get to talking about what the benefits of it are. And you want a job when you graduate. Right. (laughs) And I said, did you feel like your mom contributed to you having a good life or your dad? And I said, so why wouldn't you want to do it? Did they tell you how much money they make? Probably not, but I'll tell you how much I do. I'll tell you how much I make. They're like, wow, yeah, but I had to go this route. Doesn't happen just like that. You know what I mean? But I said I was able to provide a good life for my children. I have two daughters. My youngest daughter is a sophomore at Delaware State. She organically wanted to be a teacher. I'm celebrating. I didn't make her. She is an early childhood major at Delaware State. She has done her co-op here at this school. She has found herself here all the time, taught here over the summer. I mean, my oldest daughter is a graduate of the University of Delaware in 2020. She was an English major. I dare not mention being a teacher to her. 
But you know what she just, she's just turned 26 on Saturday. And she said, mom, could I be a performing arts teacher or drama teacher? I said, yes. So guess what she's starting to do? She said, what do I have to do? Oh my God, you kidding me? I said, we're right now on this cruise. I'm not talking about work right now, but when we get back, I'm going to tell you all about what you got to do. Can you believe that? I mean, there's something about when our children look up to us and look at us. And my journey to being a principal, I didn't apply. My journey was different. And I tell people it wasn't traditional. I was asked to take this assignment on based on my supervising and teaching and all of those things that I was doing. And at that time, that superintendent and his team, hands down, said, Whitney has to do that. And I'm humbled by that. And so I've had to learn the building side of leading, but I've learned about leadership through my supervisory experiences and my teaching experiences. But the building level of leadership is something altogether different. But fortunately, I had had enough experience in leading people that that's why that culture of care and compassion and the instructional side of things are going to happen because we're a school and you know we have to teach. But the side of caring about people, a lot of building leaders don't get it. And then they wonder why people don't stay. And so I did a training with you. I've heard of Brene Brown and Kelly Horner was a facilitator who offered the Dare to Lead cohort training for us. And she said, Whitney, I tell people all the time, principals have to be culture specialists. That's what I call myself, culture specialists. But you don't often get districts who will look for culture specialists when they're interviewing. But you get an individual who is a culture specialist who focuses on people and the care and the value of people, you can teach them how to do the other instructional level things that are going to come with the territory. We're in a school. We can do that, but give me an individual who cares about people and then you'll be able to get a win. I could listen to you talk forever. I know Irene is nodding her head. <laughs> We're all just in trance. I'm, I'm ready to bust out in tears. I just can't. Yeah. I can't. You're just, you're. When amazing. I see you both, when you come into this school, we're going to both cry and hug. And we just need I'll to bring do the it. tissues. We um, just need to do it. I mean, when you talk about teaching like basic, like social emotional skills, everything that we talk about with our own children, we try and instill that grace, that kindness, that love. I always say, how do you teach that? But you're doing it. (laughs) You are doing it. Oh my gosh. We have, and I think it just comes from, you know, it's infectious if there's someone that is there that's doing it. And it's an expectation without saying it. I give it. I know all of the teachers. I know their children's names. We hug every day when we see each other. I hug my parents. I hug my children. We are affectionate. When we were in the pandemic, that was hard. That was hard. So then we hugged backwards. You know, we hugged backwards and you realize there's been one of your senses now altered. You don't have it anymore. And you then acquire a greater level of perception in your other sensory realms. So 
We couldn't touch like we wanted to. We couldn't hug or do things. But then people began to be so in tune to the way people's eyes were looking. We could tell if someone was smiling. We could tell if someone was sad. We could still tell how people were feeling or not well by looking at their eyes because that's all we could see. And then we found ways to still interact in loving ways by still keeping ourselves safe. We are amazing beings. We are amazing as human beings and keeping light to, again, what we have still the ability to do. We lost staff. Staff passed away here. Like that in itself is something your position doesn't prepare you for. There's often times where the Division of Family Services is here. You see them when they're coming in the door and you are like, oh, who is that? Why is that? The first time I had to see four daughters being taken away from their mother, those things don't prepare you for that. So there's the shooting that occurs down the street and the bullets that you're hearing while the kids are on the playground and you quickly have to. There's nothing to prepare you for what you have to do for that. We have been graced. We have been so fortunate in being able, again, where I console staff in times of challenge and crisis, consoling parents, children who have lost parents. These babies' parents have died. They have lost their mother or their father to drug or violence. There's nothing that prepares you for that. And so when you encounter it, you go with, again, your heart. You lead with your heart all day, every day. This work is a matter of the heart, and that's all I want to see. That's all I want my staff to show up with is their heart. That's it. We'll figure out the rest. Just come with your heart. And when I interview people who are going to be here, we're adding a class this year, pre-K class. And this young lady just got her degree from Wilmington University in early childhood education. She has taken no praxis. She doesn't have any information in the DOE deed system. She's like, what's that? Okay. So Wilmington didn't tell you about that. But she's coming tomorrow and all I'm looking at is her heart. One of my colleagues said she was a long-term sub at our school and she'll need a lot of support. I just want to know if she has a heart. She has the heart. We'll do the rest. (laughs) We'll get her where she needs to be if it's meant for her to be here. And That's the part that I love. That power to teacher pipeline is something a part of our initiative for the recruitment and retaining a diverse pool of educators. We have every classroom here as a paraprofessional, and I'm fortunate to have even extras. And I sit with each one of them. Not just the teachers have professional learning, the paras have professional learning. And I want to know what they want in their life. If they want to go on and become a teacher, why wouldn't you? It's free. There's someone that'll pay for it. We walk them through the process. Another partner up in our second floor is the Wilmington Early Care and Education Council. I have the privilege of serving as chair now for that. And so they're here having a cohort of individuals regularly continuing their education for the pathway of becoming an early childhood educator and obtaining a degree. They coach them through the process. You name it, we have it. And it starts right here with 
the adults that are in the building. Often some of them as paras or reported time staff have financial difficulty themselves and we are able to help them, partner with them. I've paid for practice exams for people, the staff, whatever it is they need, I'm going to help. As long as I'm able to, I will help families, adults, staff, whatever it is. It's here. We don't want anyone to be in need here. We help each other and that's what we have to do. That's amazing. I mean, just, I feel like just saying, oh, that's amazing. It's not enough of a compliment at all, but it's just, it's incredible listening to share with us, Dr. Williams. And it sounds like from everything that you're sharing with us, just like any type of relationship in your life, right? Like a relationship takes work for it to be successful. And just hearing you talk about the fact that in the height of COVID, when you couldn't give each other proper hugs or you couldn't see each other's mouths or smiles, just kind of pivoting and hugging backwards or Mm -hmm. looking for the smile, you know, like the smile lines in their eyes when they would be happy or smiling. It's just finding those workarounds, not just giving up Mm -hmm. in order to continue on that path towards success. And I, I love hearing how you approach all of this. And I think the phrase, you know, lead by example, I feel like now whenever I hear someone say that your face is like, I'm just going to see your face because it's so true. Just beyond the field and education, a lot of the times, you know, sometimes when we think of people in higher leadership positions, they sometimes, it doesn't seem like they're approachable. They seem people, you know, up in the high tower type of, you know, they're the suits or Mm -hmm. they're the people doing the quote unquote more important work versus being more involved kind of feet on the ground, you know, doing that, that Mm -hmm. groundwork. And I just think it's really important and inspiring that you're the complete opposite of that. And it just goes to show that doing things the way that you have chosen to do them and are still doing them works and it works more than well. And it's it's just amazing. And I'd like to take a couple steps back in our conversation so far. Tell us a little bit more about, you've talked a little bit already about the trickle down of you as the leader impacting your staff and modeling for them that loving culture and that culture of compassion for one another. And I loved when you brought up the example of how many men there are on your staff and the racial diversity on your staff and the diversity, you know, the differing abilities within the school. I'd love to hear more about how you see that trickle down through into the children and the students in your school too, whether it's an example of male students being able to see themselves in their male teachers, or whether it's like you said, being able to see yourself in the people teaching you. I would love to hear a little bit more about the positive impact all the way down into the student body too, because I think that's just incredible to listen to you talk about that. Many of our children, unfortunately, don't have their fathers or believe it or not, at this age, We do see higher numbers of fathers still present in their children's lives. 
more so than they may see in the elementary age children in our high needs communities. But it is just, you know, whether it's how the children sometimes are seeing our black and brown children are seeing their white teachers or paras that are white for the first time. And when you see them, they'll touch their face or they'll, you know, they'll touch their hair. It's little things that because we get them at three, some we get as young as two and a half. And if you, especially now we've been in this pandemic, think about it. They have not been out a lot. So sometimes if they're out, of course, if they've gone to different places, they may see, but not necessarily outside of it may have been a wellness visit or somewhere they're going where there are diverse people that may interact with them, but not in a sense that they get to experience them every day and feel loved and cared for by individuals that don't look like them or the same thing as I shared the adults and to see these males who are some fathers themselves, not yet fathers, They have such compassion. It is truly just amazing. And the desire to want to work with children at this level, it just doesn't always happen. And the reciprocation of the experience is so life-changing for everyone. And it is just the one thing we see, like there was where we have our pre-K team, I was explaining And had to explain some of the culture of Black parenting for what they were observing and had observed, but never was able to have a conversation about. And I said, no, they're not being mean. No, they're not. You know, but in the Black culture, there is a different practice or thought in how discipline may occur. And because I had to kind of give a helping and explaining generationally, because I had to study it myself with, although I'm a black woman, doesn't mean that I understand everything. I had different parents who were educated and did things differently. But when you have high levels of stress and a lack of education, there can be instances where there's generationally higher levels of discipline physically occurring because of the stressors within the community and the lack of knowledge and education that would give something different. And a lot of times in the culture of the Black community, it has been transferred generationally of a physical form of punishment that in times beyond where we are, they were given to keep them safe, right? Because if you did certain things, you were going to incur something else. And so people don't understand and including the culture itself, right? They don't always understand why they're behaving in a way that, oh, my mom did that. My grandmom did that to me. Well, did you ever think about what you can now understand to do different? We have to educate our community, but it helps when we get educated to understand, to not form a a negative perception of an individual who may have a different practice than you to think that they're harming their child or that the way a staff member and colleague may speak more firmly, the child's behavior turns, but not for you. And then you are wondering why you sound mean. No, 
I may sound like their grandma. I'm 54 years old. I am their grandmother's age. And in some instances, I'm older than their grandmothers in this community. And so when I say, I need you to get up off of that floor, they will get up off of the floor because my tone sounds very similar to what they may have heard for the first five years of their life. It's not that I'm any, you know what I mean? But there's something culturally that is similar to my tone that is causing them to respond differently. Remember, you're experiencing something different as they are. They have not had or heard your tone. They have not seen your face, giving them direction or giving them guidance. You have to give them time because they're here for a certain amount of hours and they're still home, receiving more of an influence there than we are here. We have to give them time and you have to help their parents understand what your expectations are. You have to take time with not just a child. It has to be simultaneous that you are giving and educating the family. You have to do it at the same time. Why would you expect a three, four, or five-year-old to be able to switch in environments and understand the difference? Why would we expect that? They haven't seen you for the first five years of their life. So why are we expecting them to understand something different immediately? We have to do that lovingly, having patience and understanding of what they're experiencing at home and what you now are going to have an expectation of them to do here. But you cannot just tell them because what we have to do, again, is meet with every parent and share our practices. I tell parents, I try to make it simple. B, B, B is one of the things that we ask. What are they? We want books. We give every family 10 to 20 books in this school every year to take home and have and build their own home library. Bathing is important. <laughs> we need a routine. Bedtime, right? We need a bath. We need you reading books and we need them in bed by a certain time. I start there. I need every parent to understand that that's just the expectation right there. And when we teach them that, amazingly, things change instantly. But you can't expect them, what I tell the adults in the building, how dare you expect them to know that? They didn't get it. Don't assume anything. Share and educate lovingly and kindly and with compassion. Don't assume they're bringing harm. Don't assume they're bringing harm to their children. Don't assume that they're neglecting their children because they don't come in here with socks on or underwear on. Do you understand that the child may have dressed themselves? You don't have no idea what mom or dad or whoever is in the house is going on. The child could be dressing themselves and doing the best that they can. Maybe they just, but they're not being neglected. We have to teach and we have to inquire and we have to find out. So that's the biggest thing that we continually and, and have to build those things within the community. And when we ourselves are different, we've had a different upbringing. And we've had different experiences that, oh my goodness, teachers are buying clothes for our children. We buy shoes and we have a whole closet full of stuff 
when you see a little one, I mean, goodness, how much we take for granted when we're giving a little, little one brand new underwear and they're just, just as happy as they, I mean, underwear, right? Putting lotion on, I'm, you know, we're lotioning them down because they didn't have lotion. Like our skin gets dry. <laughs> but when you see our teachers that don't look like them and, oh, I'm telling you, Megan Irene, there is no color here. Like coming, we need to come. That's <laughs> oh, beautiful. It's so beautiful. So thinking about that, like the cultural aspect and just basically loving everybody. Like, so that's some great advice for a new early childhood educator, as well as a veteran educator. If you were to give other advice to both old and new, what would that be? That care, that compassion. It's, it's all I know that works. I share with new educators where there's an assessment that talks about the will and the skill. What would we rather have? What do we have more of? Where are we high? Are we high skill, high will? Are we low skill, high will? I'll take a high will, low skill any day. A high will, high skill, right? But a low will can't be here. So those are things you first, as educators, I encourage people to take a strong, sense of reflection for themselves because you will truly lead by example the good and the bad so if you don't have as a leader a strong sense of your why and you don't have a high will then you don't need to be in this field and it's better that individuals figure that out for themselves before they may unintentionally negatively impact a large number of people. Well, that's amazing advice. And I think it also ties back to the whole culture aspect of it, because what you're saying is leaders have to be cultural experts. You have to be attuned to that because if someone's heart isn't in it, you know, like you're saying the low will, then, you know, a bad attitude mm -hmm. or a bad mindset can be poison to staff culture, but also the students and the kids, mm -hmm. especially the little, little, you know, the, yes. the young children. And you're there to set these little kids up. Like you're saying, yes. when they graduate kindergarten, you're kind of laying the foundation, especially mm -hmm. at an early education center. So if the mindset and the, the will isn't there, then there's nothing else, nothing else. About the child that says, my teacher yeah. doesn't like me. Think about the adult that says, my principal and I don't get along. Why? Why? And so there has to be, we all have to be coachable, right? The additional part in that culture of care is the culture of coaching, learning, shared learning, shared decision making. All of those things are part of our community here. I don't make any decisions independent of our team without communicating. Communication is key. So sharing with educators, other educators who are aspiring, I've been asked to speak with aspiring leaders and within our district, and I've shared with them the importance of building relationships. And so recently, 
we were doing a round robin and it was interesting that all of these aspiring leaders in our district, there was only one man. I was like, are you kidding? And I'm talking about there had to be like 70 people in the room. And they did a little, you know, rotation of us. And so I said, let me just give you an example. I said, the technology department has its process of something is wrong and you need some troubleshooting. You have to fill out a ticket. I said, I don't ever have to fill out a ticket. And they were like, I said, you know why? Because I built relationships with the individuals there. And I said, and I'm not saying that I'm going out of the order of a process that has been established. But what I say is that I have a key person, one or more within every department. And I had them, I said, name a department. And they started naming the departments and I would name the individual. And I said, I have their cell number right here. If I dialed their number, they would answer. And I said, it's very important for you to be always grateful, always thankful, always give a greeting when you're sending an email and always give a thank you for anything anyone has done for you. And I said, and when you're always kind, you will get positive responses and you will build positive relationships. Now, is that challenging for us as human beings? Yes, all the time it will present some challenges. But if you remain kind and have a safe place where you have to express your anger and frustration, make sure it's a safe place. But because you have to come back to present yourself loving and kind, no matter what. So that's a lot of the advice that I give. Self-reflection is important. Being coachable is important. Having a mentor or several mentors is important. Safe places are important for you to talk openly when you are frustrated or having challenges. Don't speak ill of people that you do not trust. Your safe place means that you trust them when you have to vent. They will not share what you're sharing. I mean, I give a lot of, you know, so as you see, these things that we're talking about will go across any discipline, right? Any career. It's just so happened that this assignment is one of a building leader, school building leader. But the suggestions and the advice go across for us as human beings in life. Definitely. Be a good person. <laughs> like, be a good person. Sage advice. You are amazing. I, I can't say anything else. Well, the best job ever. And lovely. And we have taken up a lot of your time and we oh. appreciate you. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Um, you so are much. just wonderful. Uh, Thank you so much. Just, look, I am just wiping the tears out of my eyes. Because I'm telling you, I can't wait for you both to come. What are you? I coming? will cry. I will cry because yeah. um, I'm just so touched by that. Just the care and the passion and the love that you feel for everyone around you and they feel for you, obviously, and all the children and all the great work that you guys are doing, that dual generation center. Is, oh, yes. It's just amazing and just helping the whole child, the whole parent, yes. community, and just involving everyone is just thank you so much. Thank That's you so much. Thank, thank you so you. much. Yes. <laughs> It's just so important. Everyone needs a Dr. Williams in their life. Yeah, seriously. No matter, I mean, no matter what field or industry or just, you know, whether it's professionally or personally, it just, it makes a difference to just have that support and have that. I'll have me. Uh, 
<laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you so much, Dr. Williams, for taking time out of your day. And for our listeners, where can they find you if you are active online on social media? Or where can they find Stubbs on social media or on, on the internet? Where can they find you? Well, they can find me right here inside the school (laughs) at 1100 North Pine Street here in Wilmington. I am not, unfortunately, back on social media actively, but we'll do so. But we do have our social media accounts there on Facebook, Twitter, and I believe Instagram, but definitely Facebook and Twitter. And we also have our school's website, they can go to see any of uh, the things that we may have going on. But surely email, you know, I'm Whitney.Williams at Christina.K12.DE.US here. Our school's phone number, you can call anytime, 302-429-4175. If I'm not able to take the phone, that means I'm out in these schools and classrooms with our children but I will certainly call you back. Anyway, I'm on LinkedIn. I can be reached in that realm as well. But the best thing I love is I love having people visit. And so when you come, we might ask you to read to a class or visit a class. But if you're not ready for some hugs, you may not want to come to the hive. Oh, this has been so great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And good luck with the first day of school. Thank Thank you. XYZ Reflections from Early Childhood Education Professionals is brought to you by the Delaware Institute for Excellence in Early Childhood, College of Education and Human Development at the University of Delaware, hosted by Irene Ash and Meg Keating. To learn more about the DIEEC and our show, please visit our website, www.dieec.udel.edu. That's www.dieec.udel.edu. For additional information and to stay updated, follow us on social media at UDDIEEC on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's UDDIEEC. Thank you for supporting our podcast. Until next time.